This is Nolan T. Jones from Roll20, and you're listening to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. This week, Morris, Peter, and Jessica talk about religion and myth in tabletop role-playing. In the news, Monty Python and Cowboy Bebop RPGs are on Kickstarter now, a primer on Dragonlance is out, new information about the Dungeons & Dragons movie, Ray Winninger is no longer head of Dungeons and Dragons, and more! Plus, a brand new sketch about the importance of organizing your magical spells. This week on Morse's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Royal Homeland Constabulary. If you dream of a hopeful future, with endless opportunity, travel, and top-notch training, sign up to the RHC. You'll be paid one groat per week. You'll get your own straw cesspit in the communal barracks, and you'll have a wonderful time mingling with all the thieves, bandits, muggers, and other assorted scum and villainy. Sounds lovely. But when they say travel, they just mean down the street to find out who threw eggs at Madame Brandybox garter show house. And it's usually just Bert. All the tabletop role-playing news We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG Hello, hello, hello and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk I am Russ, a.k.a. Morris, or Morris, a.k.a. Russ I have Covid for the second time in a year And with me this week is... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Role Players. Russ, as ever, it is a total delight to be here. And joining us yet again, we have the siren-sounding songstress. It's the one. It's the only. It's it's me, Jessica from EM Publishing. And as we're back in a trio, I have my epic intro again, which is fantastic. Woo! When you say siren-sounding songstress, yes. does that I was... mean that when she sings, she sounds like a siren? It's, it's alliteration, Russ. Yes. I assumed it was a compliment, and I'm going to continue Let's to go take with it that, that way. Let's go with I was, that. Yeah. I was singing a little song about making the podcast to oh. the theme of Frozen just beforehand. Yeah, I, 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 I which sorry. maybe will be on the Patreon account. Who knows? So I need to apologise in advance. I do have COVID. I'm coming out at the end of it, second term of the year. But I, uh, I might struggle a little bit during the show. If I do, if I do, just ignore me and carry on. But to clarify, okay. we are all recording remotely in our own homes, so that yes. we cannot be infected. But I have I have made sure to lick the screen so that you're definitely going to get COVID now. That's that, that, is, that, that, is, that is yeah. how the internet works. Fomites, man. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I don't uh, think we... I can catch an internet virus this way. But... <laughs> <laughs> Computers spread viruses. I was told that. Right. Um, I'm going to move this on. <laughs> uh, do we have a listener question? We do uh, have a listener question this week. Okay. So, a listener question this week. It wasn't so much a question, it was more of a comment from, uh, oh. from, our, from our Discord, from William Fisher, and I thought oh, yeah. it would be a great thing for us to talk about. So this week's question, yes. or comment, is from William Fisher, who um, suggested that with the announcement of 1D&D, which is coming out in 2024, as we know, is yes. there a chance that products for the existing 5e game will see a decline in sales? Which I thought was an interesting question, because we'd be talking about that anyway with the... Yes. Uh, we believe that they already are. Mm. Yes. Just from our own experience, and mm. just looking at mm-hmm. Kickstarters. Yep. Yes. Well, uh, YV Kickstarters, as, as I've observed it, and this is anecdotal, I haven't done, collated any data or anything, it's totally anecdotal, are not performing as well as they were six months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I am the million dollar Kickstarters, which we were getting like two a month a while back. Mm-hmm. They're coming fewer and fewer between. I mean, yeah. there hasn't been one for about three or four months now. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was the Monty Cook Cypher, uh, Monty Cook Cypher one as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't even a 5e one. So yes, I do believe that products from an existing 5e game not only will see a decline in sales, probably already are. Yeah, I've noticed that as well because there's well as we oh well EM publishing to talk about ours as well. We mm. we do these we do little monthly ones. The mini quick starters, and yeah. the the one we have now, the mini quick starter for October is, I mean it's still doing well. We're, we're fully funded. It's all going out there and everything, but it's it's a lot slower than it's it normally about would be. Half as well as yeah. a, a typical one would have done, and um, we can put that down to a couple of things. One is that um, seasonal themed things. This is a Halloween mm. one always. Well, these, it is. They always not, have done slightly worse. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's not Halloween themed specifically. It's horror themed, which well, yeah. leans into Halloween. But it does but, it does, it does have the word Halloween all over the. But the you can page. you can but. celebrate Halloween and horror at any time of year yeah, in your life, yeah. especially <laughs> but, but if that, you live under a British government. But anyway, but that, that's one effect. But the other effect, I do I do think that five uh, E five E stuff is starting to slow. I really do. Um, I've noticed that mm-hmm. with our stuff, with other stuff. Um, I don't want to make any names, but one prolific publisher of 5e stuff, probably one of the leading publishers of 5e stuff, had a Kickstarter like a month or so ago. They tend to do very, very well with them. And while they did do well with it, they did probably like two-thirds what I expected them to make, maybe half. Yeah, mm. and, so, there was, and there was nothing wrong with it. Like, it was a good product as well, because I remember yeah, we had yeah, a look yeah. at it, and we're like, oh, that's mm. weird. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I think... Uh, as people are saying, is it because one D and D coming along, so they're kind of getting ready for the new thing and not looking to invest in that? Is that yeah. what happened before with previous editions? It is. So I've, I've been through this uh, scenario more than once. Yeah. So three E to three point five, mm-hmm. I was publishing three point five to four E, I was publishing four E to five E, I was publishing. All mm-hmm. of those times, this happened. So mm-hmm. um, the most pronounced one would have been three point five to four E one, yeah. where sales just Drive right up mm. completely, but even three to three, three e to three point five, which wasn't mm. that big a change, probably mm. more akin to this one, I guess, yeah. in, in 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 terms of scope and scale. Even that change, even though a three e book was still going to be technically compatible with a three point five book, yeah, you could still pick up a three e adventure and run it with a three point five rules. Yeah, people just they ended up in the discount bins. Mm. People didn't want them, and. I think that's going to be a problem for possibly people on DM's Guild with a large back catalogue. Maybe. Because mm-hmm. while their products will still be compatible with yeah. one D&D, I worry, and I hope this doesn't happen, that customers will say, yes, but I still prefer something written especially, especially for one D&D, even yeah. though their products are compatible. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's what we experience more than once. Yeah. That does happen. And it's kind of a branding thing in a way, rather than the actual content. It's not really related to the Content yeah, itself. I, I, it's kind of a, perspe- a perspective agree. thing. A, it's a it's branded. It's yeah, perception yeah. and feeling over facts. Yeah. And with human beings, those always win out against yeah. so, facts. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Because that's what we be like. Mm. Old so, people. Yeah. So for third party 5e publishers, I think the next couple of years are going to be, you know, they're not going to be dead, but they're going to be leaner than they were. Mm-hmm. They're going to be down. So yeah. if you are a publisher, you should expect things to do a little bit less than you projected, maybe. I do wonder if non-D&D publishers might see a bump from it while people who would normally be spending money on 5e stuff are holding off for now 
And they're thinking, well, what shall I buy instead? And why don't I try something else? Maybe. I don't know whether that will happen or not. It'd be interesting to see. It'd be nice to see. Do you know what people are buying? What? Um, The new Monty Python role-playing game. (laughs) Yes, they are. That's that's got over a million dollars and Mm, it launched. In the first day, yeah. Yeah, in the first day. Yeah, yeah. So that launched yesterday or was it the day before? Definitely this week. It was Wednesday, I think. Yeah, it was Wednesday. It was on Wednesday. Bold yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's made over a million dollars. I was watching it at one point, and it was going up by a thousand dollars literally every couple of seconds. It was going up yeah. that fast. Yeah. It is satisfying to watch that when it's. It is quite addictive, good, yeah. isn't it? Mm. It is quite addictive. It's yeah. even worse when it's your own Kickstarter and you're just sat there. But ours doesn't uh, quite move that quickly always. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but the Monty Python, yeah, the Monty Python yeah, RPG is well. It's going to be the first million dollar Kickstarter in a while. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's kicking ass. I reckon it's going to make two million. Yeah, yeah. It's a custom rules light system as well. So as you're yes. saying, not a D and D thing. It's got, there's a lot of trinkets that come with it. Have you seen the dice set? Oh. There's I a D14, a D16, a D18, a D30. They've got, their, they've got their own custom dice. Fair enough. So you can get those with it. You can get a dice bags. You can get a head of light, light entertainment sash. You can wear. Very you can nice. get all sorts of like. Oh, I hate! I hate stuff. that there's a D sixteen and four. I don't like that. Do you it, not like that? I don't like that. Why? Photonic solids it, only. I don't know. It just feels, you know, like what? when you've got everything in a neat line and someone moves one thing out of place, hmm. it feels like that. Oh. But maybe other people like that wouldn't bother me if someone yeah, like that. Like, <laughs> All right. Well, for people that relate to what I'm talking about, it feels like that. Anyone else uptight? Uh, like you see them in stuff like uh, the Nicole classics and so forth. So I, it's don't, like, I don't like they're sure. they're a bit. There is it's like it's a game. It's quite mm. fun. I like it. And this is like not too bad. It's just like I think they have a very specific audience that they have in mind with this. Monty mm. Python um, fans, yeah. Yeah, sir. yeah. Um, yeah, it's a big audience though. I I wasn't sure whether how well this would do because you know Monty Python now is. Quite old, yeah. And I was wondering whether I, you know, I don't really know whether people, you know, in their twenties are really into Monty Python. But is it people in their is it people in their twenties that have a lot of money to spend? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, mean, I don't know. I don't know who's buying it. Um, I don't think it's. I don't think it's the Zoomers that are buying all this stuff. For us. No, maybe not. I don't know. I, I, yeah, um, I think I'm pretty it sure is not a, the millennials yeah. that are buying it either. For us, Gen X and higher are like, ooh, yes, give us some of that. I think it's so. got they, a lot of stuff to buy. And they probably have more money to spend on that as well, because yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but it is I like doing really, really I, it is. well. Yeah. I like how they named the tiers. The lowest one is called the Bloody Peasant Edition, yeah. and then the middle one is the Sensible Middle Class Bundle, and then they have and a public the upper class twit. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's nicely done. It seems nicely done. They very much know, you know, the genre, what they're making. So I think. Mm. I think it's going to give you exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, and you can grab a PDF. It's twenty five dollars. And the hardcover is $65. 9,000 backers. My word. I wonder how much this is going to land on, because it's got 28 days to go. Yeah, I wonder if it'll hit the 2 million. I mean, obviously, it's going to slow down now after the first few days, but it might hit the 2 million. Maybe. Maybe. Well, we'll we'll check in and and keep an eye on it. Mm. Um, But 
Let me tell you something else. Oh. This is not Something? The... No, you can't tell us more than I have one more thing. news. That, oh, that's, so too much. Much, that's too much for us to cope with. We've got to parcel out the news into little individual packets. It's too busy. I'll just deal with more than one fact. I know, because you have COVID. I'll just tell Peter. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. All right. So, Peter. I cannot hear you. There is another licensed project on Kickstarter that's quite big as well, which is the Cowboy Bebop. Oh, which hasn't cowboy. quite made um, a million dollars. Yes. It's made just uh, under a quarter of that. It, yeah, but still doing well. It's still yeah, it's still good. But I was just saying, it's, but yeah. So the Cowboy Bebop yeah. role playing game is out, mm. and I, I imagine that will do quite really well because it's like a really popular, you know, PDFs like nineteen euros. It's a custom D six dice pool system, and it's on Kickstarter mm. now. And they use like risk points for influence and and the game. It's all focused around the pulp and jazz influence of the series. Mm. And I had a quick look through the Kickstarter. And again, yeah, it seems very much if you are a fan of that series, this role-playing game is made very much by people who understand that. Mm. And so I think, again, you'll get you'll get what you want from this if that's what you're looking for. Mm. And I thought it was quite nice that at 19 euros you can pick it up because that's not too, mm. you know, that's not too, wi- that's not too wild. Yeah. So who wants to see some Dragonlance new? Oh, yes, please. Yes, Ooh, tell me to, about Dragonlance. I like learning more about Dragonlance. The Lances of Dragons. So, yes. so, so, so. Uh, Wizards of the Coast released a video entitled Everything You Need to Play Dragonlance Shadow of the Dragon Queen. Is it lots of things to buy? And I'm not entirely sure it is everything you need to play Dragonlance Shadow of the Dragon Queen, but it does have some information in it. Okay, such as? Um, so uh, rather than forcing you to watch the video, because it's like it's only about six minutes long, it's not long, but um, I made a note of the primary points. There's about six basic points that they made. So first of all, Great. it's a 222-page, 224-page hardcover adventure. Nice, mm-hmm. me too. Dragonlance is being pitched as D&D's setting for war. Mm-hmm. Nice, because we all love war. It is set in eastern Salamnia. So for those who are familiar with Kryn, um, this is an area that hasn't really been explored in previous books or previous adventures. Famed for its moustaches. It's kind of where the war starts. Um, when, when, you, when you pick up at the beginning of the Dragonlance Chronicles, the original trilogy of books, the war's already underway up there and people have heard rumours of it f- further down south. Mm-hmm. This is set before those books, up where the war is just starting. It says the war is represented by context. Now, I wasn't totally sure what to make of this, but basically, what they, I think what they're trying to say is, rather than mass battle rules and stuff like that, mm-hmm. what happens is, um, it's the context around you that tells you that you're in the middle of a war. So instead of, like, it's just, like, goblins raiding your village, it's going to be actual goblin armies raiding your village. Or, right, you know, that sounds worse. For, advanced forces from an army. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be refugees arriving at your village. There's going to be rumours and things. So there's going to be a context all around you. So while you'll be doing stuff that is kind of normal D&D fare, it will be in the context of a war. Okay. So rather than having you actually reenact the war itself, which would be a, a different type of game. Uh, and then finally, it's a, bunch of, it's a bunch of introductory scenarios. I don't know if it, was, it is a bunch of, or it contains a bunch of, but there are introductory scenarios designed for people who don't know Korean or Dragonlance. Mm-hmm. And what they do is those introductory scenarios bring you up to speed on the world. And each one will introduce something like the Wizards of High Sorcery or Draconians or, or something. Mm-hmm. So you learn, by, you learn about the setting by playing rather than having a big old info dump landed on you and said, do all this homework, memorise all this, because this is the world you're going to be playing. Well, that's actually my... Absolute 100% favourite way to play a setting. Yeah, 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 game. So, yeah, sounds good. Yeah. 
Um, so that's basically all the all the uh, all the video said. It was pretty short, about five minutes. Um, yeah. It's coming in December. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We're talking of Dragon Arts, yeah. we've got tentative plans for me to live stream the original Dragon. Well, not the original Dragon Arts modules. The first of the original Dragon Arts modules, DL One oh. Dragons of Despair, using A5E. But yes. that's still still only in the tentative planning stage. Yes. But this is kind of a, a new actual play for Ian Live that we're mm. on doing. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on with the news, shall we? So, Ray Wingo. Yes. Do you remember, was it last week we announced the new senior vice president of Dungeons & Dragons, Dan Watson? Correct. Okay. It was. It was last week? Okay. Yes. Um, and and was... we noted at mm-hmm. the time... Wasn't that Ray Winninger's job? And why doesn't Ray Winninger's Twitter bio mention Wizards of the Coast anymore? Mm-hmm. Ray Winninger has now confirmed a week later that, yes, he has left Wizards of the Coast. He says he's accomplished the goals, the ambitious goals they set when he took over the D&D team. Shepherding D&D was an honour and a privilege, but he's looking forward to slowing down and getting back to a list of personal design projects. And then thanks to an awful lot of the individual staff members that he worked with. So, um, so, yeah, Ray Winninger's now left Wizards of the Coast. Dan Wilson's taken his place. Dan Wilson obviously coming from Microsoft with a solid kind of digital background. Yep. And, yeah, just confirming what we thought, basically. Yep. Mm. Best of luck yeah. to them in their new adventures. They yeah. said they've got some more personal projects of their own that they're planning on doing. So yeah, yeah, keep an eye yeah. out. Maybe they're doing some stuff and or. Maybe and or not, yes. Do you want, now, what else? Do you want what some else more Wizards of the Coast style news? Wizards well, of the Coast. They are owned by Hasbro. They are owned by Hasbro. Yeah, I don't think that's news, but what's that? <laughs> it's not. <Breaking> news. <laughs> Hasbro it was a, it, it was at a time. <laughs> anyway, so they own that. Yeah, we didn't have a podcast back then. Yeah, all right. Let me carry on. Okay, so Hasbro announced their sales. Sorry, sale. I'll stop interrupting now. I'll stop. Knock, knock. Hasbro have announced their sales uh, for the third <laughs> quarter of 2022, and they are down almost 23%. Mm. Notably, notably though, and mm-hmm. this is also the Wizards and Digital Table Digital Gaming Division. I think it's gone just the top of my head. Um, Wizards and Digital Gaming Division is the division that Wizards is in. Mm-hmm. While that division is down by about a quarter, quite a lot. Most of that, there's no mention of Dungeons and Dragons being down in that. No mention of role playing games being down in that. What it is put down to mainly is Dark Alliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, was uh, dropping, which is the digital was a video game, yeah. and also it's on the tail end of a big sort of Magic the Gathering cycle of some kind, mm. where where sales sort of apparently naturally drop quite a bit before they go up on the next. Mm-hmm. So it's mainly Dark Alliance and Magic the Gathering that are down rather yeah. than D and D. It is noted that tabletop gaming segments, which do include Magic and is Dungeons mm. and Dragons, are up five percent, mm. and they're mm. expected yeah. to go into double digits. So there's nothing to worry about. Yeah, nothing to worry about for us. No, but it's interesting yeah. that overall as a company, stuff is down, but there's mm. this tabletop thing that's kind of popping yeah. up and, and doing well. I guess that was why there was that whole thing before where somebody was trying to... Wasn't there an activist law firm that was trying to get them into separate companies for... Yes! Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I imagine share, that, that an was... An activist shareholder, wasn't it? Yeah, they were, so they, they... had a whole bunch of shares. And, and I think it was to, because yeah. of this, because they want, they were like, look, this section is doing really well, so you should separate it so it's a, it's a thing. So, so it's not sub- subsidising the other, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I guess Hasbro, like, no, we want it to subsidise all the stuff. <laughs> Me too. Which is, yeah, I mean, <laughs> fair, 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 fair. Hey, I've got some news about the D&D movie. 
Oh, do you? I don't know about that. Tell me about that. Okay, so this is um, from Henadic Theologian, who is a poster, a uh, message board member on EN World, who scoured okay. the web, um, gathering rumours and information snippets from articles and interviews about the D&D movie from places like Cinema Blend and Collider and Hollywood Reporter and Google News, all sorts of different places. Yeah. Uh, and just compiled a big old bullet point list of snippets of information. So none of these are big things, but it's yeah. just a whole bunch of little things, which he just like grabbed and then yeah. summarised. So I thought I'd quickly whip through them. Okay. So the first one is, uh, so this is the D&D movie, which is Honour Among Thieves. Yes, yep. as, we, as we have year. previously discussed, yeah. Yep. So they hired a language team for all the D&D languages that appear in the movie. Cool. Okay. They also have a spell casting gesture team, which includes okay. the guy who designed the gestures for WandaVision. That's cool. Mm. Okay. They built 120 sets for the movie. Yep. Uh, Paramount has the distribution rights for the whole world, except for Canada and the UK, for which Hasbro slash E1 has the distribution rights. Who? That's specific. Hasbro slash E1 is a entertainment company owned by Hasbro. I think it's right. fairly new. Oh, they acquired it recently or something in the last couple of years or something. And then okay. I guess they're I'm trialing sure. that in the UK and Canada. So. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> they shot an active volcano. Seems dangerous. Yeah. People got so caught up in the movie, folks were in tears at times. Don't know oh, whether they mean that. Is I, don't test know whether, I don't know whether they mean test screenings or whether they mean the cast and crew. If the cast yeah. and crew, that just sounds like a toxic working environment. So I'm going to assume uh, it's the test well, screening. No, I wouldn't say. If you're an actor and yeah. you, um, if it's very intense get, and they're doing yeah. something sad, then maybe they're just like really enjoying themselves. Oh, maybe. Yeah, back when I used to do theatre, I played um, Andromache in the Woman of Troy, and I was very sad during that time. Couldn't figure out why, and I was like, oh, it's because I'm playing this woman who's lived in a war-torn country and her husband's been murdered and they're taking a child from her. Maybe that's why I'm feeling a bit blue. Mm. So you can't yeah, get character yeah. blue, so maybe it's that. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, um, it says, um, demographically, it did as well among women as men during test screenings, same with non-D&D fans and D&D fans. Oh, okay. That's interesting oh. about D&D and non-D&D fans. Yeah. Mm. But it's got quite a guy yeah, who's like galaxy kind of vibe, doesn't it? Kind of. I guess yeah. maybe this is going to do, you know, because Lord of the Rings, I think, made fantasy a bit more mainstream. Maybe this is going to make D&D even more mainstream. Maybe. Which would be a good thing. Yeah. Help deal yeah. with that massive slump in um, sales, because that's the only way we're going to get anything done, by expanding oh. the marketplace. And that's, Ooh, that's... that's what Wizards of Coast are doing. That's true, but I wonder if new people would only buy Wizards of the Coast branded stuff, because... That's, that's what, what that's what they know, and that's right. do you know what I mean? Because I think it mm. takes a while when you if you come in at D and D, it takes a while for you to look yeah. into the big wide world of other stuff and be like, oh wow, yeah. there's all these other trees. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially yeah, yeah. getting to crowdfunding and Kickstarter. So mm. Mm. Yeah. you have to be quite far down the game rabbit hole. Yeah. To but I guess it's starting that. people on the pipeline, isn't it? So yeah. Anyway, Russ, sorry. Yeah. So the trailer had a Led Zeppelin song, I believe. I don't recall, um, but this says it did. Um, apparently Led Zeppelin songs are very hard to get you can't just throw money at them because they don't need it <laughs> they have to like the thing in order to let you use their songs and uh, it sounds like this movie has the Led Zeppelin seal of approval nice <laughs> um, oh, that's beautiful it's like uh, what, what have you got instead of money you know <laughs> yeah. what, what will make us happy mm. do, do that instead <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, the movie has a lot of easter eggs I suppose it would have yeah 
Oh, well, it's yeah. really Easter eggs. Eggs. I don't think it's so much going to be Easter eggs. Is it's just going to feature D and D things? In, yeah, it's a D and D movie. Yeah. I'm not sure that counts but as an for, Easter egg. But really. for non D and D people, that will feel like because oh, yeah. yeah, you'll be like, sure, it's it's like if you if you enjoy Marvel films but you don't know the comics, you're not going to pick up yeah. on all the stuff. And I guess it's the same thing. Yeah. I, we, we 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 all know because we've seen the trailer. But there's going to be a bit of like, oh, a treasure chest. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. uh, they use D and D Beyond and the Forgotten Realms wiki a lot. Okay. Yeah. They're they're actually doing research. That's a good thing. Yes. Justin Smith, I think it's Justice Smith, isn't it? Not Justin Justice. Smith. It yeah. says Justin Smith here. Yeah. Um, was really hardcore into the D and D details for his source of account. Ah, the D and details, as it were. Well, does that mean they've got character sheets? Yeah, probably. Interesting. Yeah, I suppose they would have. Yeah, I, I'd be quite interested to hear about the details of the campaign. They doubtless enjoyed. Yeah. John's Paladin uh, required a lot of training and apparently oh. gave him his best butt ever, his words. So many squats. <laughs> yeah. So many. They made the characters contemporary in some ways. Like, sometimes they question why certain things are the way they are, but not in ways inappropriate to the genre and the setting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the movie was clearly made by D&D fans. Um, they haven't designed this movie with an eye towards future movies beyond the fact of making it as amazing as possible. Sound, sound policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then this next line slightly contradicts that. This was inspired by the MCU, where the foundation was created by three solid self-contained movies. Latcham insisted on it. Latcham being somebody. Yeah. A producer yeah. or something, I guess. Well, rather than assuming that there was going to be a franchise, they're like, we want this to be absolute blockbuster tentpole movies that everyone's super excited about. And if mm. we do a couple of those, then that is a very good sign that we should throw more money at it mm. and produce more movies, which we'll be mm. able to because we'll have a lot of money. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a strategy. Go. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's a sound plan. And let's be honest, it is going to, a lot of, a lot depends upon this movie. D&D movies, as we all know, do not have a good record. This feels like they're trying to do everything right, so I am... Fingers crossed. Cautiously optimistic. That's right. I'm not letting myself be optimistic yet. I'm cautiously optimistic. Still plenty of room for despair and pessimism. I think it'll be good. Yeah. Do you think? I'll be optimistic. Strongly spoken. I hope it will. I am on its side, but not optimistic. I'm going to be optimistic. I think it's going to be good. Okay. I'm rooting for him. We'll, it's like it's a hard watch sell, it though. when it comes out, and we'll see. Right, let's move on with the news. How about some sci-fi news? With Starfinder? We, we, well, we, well, I was going to go Star Trek or Alien. Oh. Uh, They're both great. Carry yeah, on. They're both great. They're two of my favourite things. Yeah. Hit me with Alien. Alien, Heart of Darkness. It's a Ooh. new adventure mm-hmm. for the right. Alien RPG. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From Free League Publishing. Perfect for Halloween. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an adventure for the Alien RPG, a 76-page PDF, a scenario book, a double-sided map of a space station, which sounds kind of cool, um, mm-hmm. seven pre-generated characters, custom cards for secret messages and personal agendas, player maps, handouts, and it's $17.99 in American dollars. Mm. And you can play it with either the Alien RPG Core Rulebook or the Alien RPG Starter Set. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yes, New Life Discovered, a classification extremophile. Services required, contract follows. Yeah. I mean, I, I would just be, nope. <laughs> nope. No, thank you. Nope. I, 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 I mean, water bears, which are these tiny little 
microscopic creatures, they, they're extremophiles. Yes, but you know that's not what it means, don't you? Maybe no, that's I, what I, I it is. It's a nice little drop. He's not, ta- not talking about tardigrades here. Yeah, yeah. We are talking about vicious, horrible xenomorphs. Oh, right, yeah. Maybe uh, not. Vicious, we don't know the vicious, contents horrible of the creatures protest. Out-turned xenomorphs. Yes. <laughs> Maybe it's fine. Um, I actually did an interview uh, with Free oh, League, yeah. with, with Thomas from there, the CEO, uh, talking mm. about the alien role-playing game. And nice. I'll be coming out on Not D&D, because we're doing all horror-themed things, because I don't know if you're aware, but it's Halloween pretty soon. Halloween? Oh, no, no, it can't So we're doing be. horror kind of RPGs that would be good to play then. So if you do want to hear more about uh, the alien role-playing game, if you tune into Not D&D, it'll be this week or next week, depending on a schedule Ooh. if I have to move things. The other sci-fi news... Yes. Some Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So for Modipius, you can now get Native Soil, which is a new adventure. Yep. You are sent to the planet Avalon to assist an archaeological team investigating the planet's original civilization wiped out thousands of years ago by a radiation burst. However, the team has found that members of that culture held in stasis and now they want their planet back. Who's that? Sounds kind of full. Cool. It's a 22-page adventure. Next Generation Era 499 in PDF. Okay. That sounds interesting. I like that. Because the Prime Directive... Mm means the Federation can't step in, but they're mm. they just trying to stop them killing each other while they figure <laughs> yeah. it out. Yes, the ship's crew is placed in the role of mediators between Avalon's new colony and its original inhabitants. That's awkward. Interesting. It would be, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Paizo is making some changes to their PDF digital pricing structure. Oh, I heard about that. Was that oh. up or down? Or both? Uh, both, all directions. Oh. Pretty much what they used to do is yeah. the price of a physical product, there would be a percentage of... They would, they would fix pick a percentage and then that would be what the price of the PDF was. But now right. they're standardising it because the mm. prices are all over the shop. And yes. for someone that does the business management things, I understand why they're doing this. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, yes, yeah. that makes perfect so sense. It's, so it's sort of like all adventures are going to be the same price and all hardcover is going to be That's the same correct. price. That's correct. So yeah. all right. adventure paths, um, standalone adventures, um, rule books and things like that are going to be like nineteen ninety nine. Which means mm-hmm. some of them are going to go up because some of them are like fourteen ninety nine and stuff. But mm-hmm. loads of the flip tiles, maps, and pawns and things are going to be standardised at nine ninety nine, which means they're going to get cheaper. Yeah. So they're pretty much standardising everything. So if you're looking at adventure, they're all the same price yeah. and so on and so forth, which makes sense. And um, that's going to affect on October twenty sixth um, mm-hmm. or uh, for new stuff and November first for all the back catalogue stuff. So mm-hmm. if you want to get some PDFs and you think they're going to be cheaper now, get them before November mm-hmm. next ten days. Um, oh, that sounds very sensible. I, I'm actually quite surprised mm-hmm. they weren't already doing that. To be perfectly honest with you, well, uh, I'm, I imagine it's just it's there's so many things in companies you just do, and because mm. it's always been like that, and it's not necessarily an issue, you don't really mm. yeah. you just kind it's of just like a, it's oh, a little bit of admin overhead for somebody who probably isn't you. It isn't necessarily yes. on your radar it's until someone, someone brings it up. It's someone that yeah. isn't Russ doing it. So <laughs> <laughs> myself and Zinna just managing that. <laughs> we actually do have standardised rates for most of our stuff, yeah. so it's mm. um, that's pretty easy. But yeah, so that, that's yeah. just interesting. So um, have a look on there. Maybe you'll get some. Uh, you can save yourself a fiver over mm. the next ten days. Yeah, very nice. I thought it might be nice to plug a few Kickstarters of us and our friends because, as we mentioned earlier, five related Kickstarters are struggling a little bit at the moment. And it might, indeed, it might be nice just to plug stuff. So, so yeah. I thought we'd start with Mike Miners, Varanthia Codex, Grithatnis. Oh, I've got on that one. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you're having a crack at pronouncing it because I'm like, I don't even know where. I, I can't guarantee I said it right, but. 
Oh, Varanthia Codex uh, Grithadis' campaign yeah. setting by yes. Mike Minus to 5e, and one of the stretch goals was for level up as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, over 190 pages. Goblin Gunslingers. Yeah, it's, it's a big old campaign setting. Yeah, I don't know a lot about it. I know it was Mike's one of Mike's oldest campaign settings that he made for himself yeah. years ago or something, and um, bringing it to Kickstarter as a big deal for him. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. It's got all sorts... It's like got chthonic stuff, new archetypes, monsters, mm. including a draconic bunny, no less. Mm. Uh, the cover is, it looks almost like somebody with a sort of a, a helmet, which looks like a cross between a sort of a Chinese straw hat mm. and a, a World War One German pickle halber, mm. who is shooting or casting using a six shooter a magic spell at something that is legally distinct from Cthulhu in every way. Um, mm. It's a very striking cover. I'm not sure I understand entirely what's going on, but it looks exciting. What can you say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mike, Mike has a particular aesthetic. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, a strong aesthetic, I'd say. He, but, um, he knows what he wants his stuff to look like. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh-huh. But it is going to be available for Level Up Advanced 5th Edition because it, uh, yes. it, it's reached its yeah. uh, goal to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, so I have backed at, it. So. I'm looking at an interview that Egg Embry did with him on D20 Radio. Mm. Mm-hmm. And this is what Mike says. Um, so this was my first campaign setting um, and Kickstarter project some eight years ago. Um, unsurprisingly, uh, uh, it feels like it. Inside are a plethora of high-octane design pieces for fighting island-sized enemies and contending with the gods themselves. If you're looking for nuance and subtlety, I'm not telling you that it can't happen on Grithadness, but you're scribing in the stone with a great axe instead of a chisel. Anyone who fondly remembers their first gaming days or who may be enjoying them now will thoroughly enjoy adventuring across the fair continent. Okay. So that's his elevator pitch for it. There we go. Yeah. So anyway, let's plug that one. Uh, Peter, do you want to quickly plug your own Kickstarter? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, One, if by land, two, if by sea, three, if by air... Is doing pretty well at, so far. It's made two and a half thousand dollars, massive menos, uh, two thousand two hundred pounds. Um, still got fourteen days to go. I see it's uh, getting some love from the backer kit from Dungeon Delver's Guide. So thank you very much, much appreciated. And yeah, it's uh, it's got everything that you could want. I'm currently got with Sarah, my fantastic layout person, uh, dramatic vehicle stunts, which is mm. how you can. Do cool stuff with a vehicle, uh, which yeah. is quite quite a good way to uh, expand marshals and so forth. And mm. we'll be trying to get some of that detail up onto the Kickstarter page once it's done. So, yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Getting there. And Jess, why don't you quickly describe our current Kickstarter? Yes, I will. I'm excited about it uh, for many reasons. So this is Terrible Treasures and Frightful Fables. Uh, so this is for D&D 5th edition. And uh, like all our Kickstarters, we send you the PDF immediately the moment it ends, which is in six days' time. So it ends on Thursday, October 27th. And yeah, so I'll send you the PDF straight away on that. And then you get the books a couple of weeks later, as soon as Kickstarter gives us the money, we can place the order. Um, but it, basically, it's got loads of kind of uh, trinkets and things which you can use you know that maybe you might use these evil things if you're a nice player or maybe if your players aren't so nice they'll, they'll use them um but there's Ooh. nine new magical uh, items which we've it's kind of the tagline is like to combat or embrace the terrors of the night and the things <laughs> i really like is that they these magical masks 
and they're made um you can use them whatever your level and whatever class uh or, you know or heritage or whatever uh but they give you kind of uh powers of the monsters that they depict so for example there's like um the uh, mask of the dragon which allows you to kind of like breathe fire and, and things like that and they all do kind of different things they're not game breaking but they're all fun but there's also just you know a little bit of buyers beware with them because maybe if you use some of these maybe you know there's a there's a cost for getting these powers and also it comes with two um excellent adventures uh which are set in magical cities one of them is a uh, dearless dinosaurus mortars uh, which i said wrong but it's day of the dead <laughs> with dinosaurs Oh, uh, <laughs> okay. zombie dinosaurs or day of the dead dinosaurs? Zom- yes, oh, yes. Okay. Pretty much, uh, raptors wake up and find that their lands have been taken over by these hairless apes, aka humans. It's kind of a little bit like that um, Star Trek. I, I was yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm hearing is bit. the humans yeah. are definitely in the wrong on this point, having colonised these um, innocent raptor lands. So yeah. I mean, uh, raptorations. Your adventurer could do that, but it's for 14th level PCs. Um, There's like, it falls colored maps, it's got loads of guides, it's got a pronunciation guide. Which I would find very It's useful. got a Velociraptor mummy lord. That's what you need to say. Yeah. You don't need to say any more than that. That's true. It has. And it, the, the artwork for Onza on the cover for this as well. So, which is very beautiful stuff. And then we also have Red Fangs and a White Knight. So there's this city uh, which has a magical dome surrounds it. Uh, it blocks all divination magic happening. And it also dulls the sun in the sky and doesn't let the moon in. Um, mm. So I'll let you imagine what this horror story is going to contain. In, in this city with, with that dome, magical dome in place. Um, but yeah, and it's, yeah, it's just really exciting. It's quite a, quite a reasonable, chunky-sized book. Um, it's a little bit bigger than these normally are. So it's 48 pages. Yeah. Uh, it's just like seven great British pounds uh, for the PDF copy, and you get it instantly. Uh, or you can pick up a soft cover book. And it's also got all the add-ons for the previous ones. So if you wanted to get one of the, like, 19, 18, 18 previous ones we have now, mm. you can grab them. Yeah, of course, we can't tell you what a British pound is worth because it seems to change every day. Yeah, by, the, by the time this podcast goes out, it'll be massively outdated. Yeah. At the time yeah. of making it, it was around eight dollars, so that's what I put no. on the images. But then, you know, we're having a time in the UK, no, so we can't changed. really control yeah. the price of the pound. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah. that's available there, and we do have retail tiers as well. So you could ask your friendly local gaming store to back that if mm. you'd like to pick it up and support them. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've got a little bit of news about some stuff that we've been doing. There is now a dungeon builder, yes. dungeon generator online Ooh. on A5E tools. Mm-hmm. Um, it generates random dungeons of eight different types, and you can you choose the type, and you choose the level of the dungeon from 1 to 20. It'll generate a random dungeon. It's a work in progress, because I've seen the next iteration of it, which has diagonal corridors, because it doesn't have... The current one doesn't have diagonals. Amazing. Um, all the corridors go up and across. And it has diagonal corridors and more round rooms, non-square oh. rooms, which is pretty cool. So that is online. Um, that uses the rules from Dungeons & Delver's Guide, the node system to generate a dungeon mm-hmm. and stock it appropriately. Nice. And also, my character builder is now on a5e.tools. Yeah. It is very much a work in progress. I have been struggling this week to get it to save characters. So that, because at the moment oh. you can create a character, but then basically you either print it out or you lose it. Ah. <laughs> so 
but, yeah. so, those, are, those are my two bits of news. Things I've been doing this week while I have COVID, I've been coding. Do you know what I've been, I've been doing? It's getting all the logistics stuff ready for the Dungeon Delvers Guide. So the backer kit went live. Ooh. And more than half of our backers have actually already filled out their survey, which is really good because normally that yeah, takes yeah. people a while. But yeah. our backers are on it. Uh, They're keen. Nice. They're keen. They um, should be. The Dungeon Delvers Guide is quite possibly the most exciting book out this year. I've got I to say, including so. my own, I really like my book, but it's the Dungeon Delvers Guide is still more exciting. God damn it. Bloody good. Mm-hmm. Bloody yeah. good book. Yeah. Right. I interrupt. Have we finished the news? Yes. Question mark. I think so. Yeah. Ranger, to my left. Wizard, ready your spell. The enemy is trying to outflank us. I see them. Traps set on the ridge to slow them down. There's so many of them. Wizard, is your Eldritch evocation prepared? Yes, yes, it will be ready soon. Make haste, friend wizard, the horde approaches. We, we do not have much time. Of course, my hellwood thing. Just wait while I dig out the appropriate scroll. We will hold them off for as long as we can, but we and the entire 17 kingdoms are depending on you. This spell, years in the making, is the only thing that stands between us and certain death. Oh, you are in safe hands, my bold companion. Now, where did I... Uh, I spy a party of shot goblins on the hill. Uh, I'll pick them off with my bow. Oh no, a group of assault badgers are on the bridge. I shall block their way and cleave them until they are no more. Anis, drizzle, no. Illuminators, prescient, fruit baskets, no. Speak with fish, no. Detect sarcasm, no. Wizard, I beseech you, hurry! We can't hold on much longer. Please, just a moment more. I have the spell right here, somewhere. Exploding dice barrows in the air. I've got him. A lava trout approaches. Leave him to me. See, fancy gourmet. Ito's resistible jig. I'm almost out of arrows. My arms grow weary. See, I can barely lift my sword. Um, guys? What is it? Uh, is your spell ready? Can, can we end this blight once for all? There is a slight problem. Now is not the time, wizard. Cast your spell. Summon the arcane might of the sacred ether and save the 14 duchies. Yes, about that spell. What about it? The the thing is, you see... The thing is what? Well... Well? uh, It appears my dog ate it. Malak the Maleficent here. If, like me, you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing on Patreon for exclusive bonus content every week and the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing you are helping to keep the show going. Subscribe at patreon.com slash morris. There, I said it. Can you stop staring at me like that now? The things I do. All right, all right, don't forget... Patreon.com slash Morris. Can I go now? Our topic this week is about religion and myth and how it applies to tabletop role-playing games. Ooh. As suggested by Jess. So Jess, yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the spotlight on you and let you take it away. Absolutely. Talk well, to us about religion and myth. What, mm. what's, you know, made this for me is I got my copy of uh, 
Vassen or Vasen. I don't know how to pronounce mm-hmm. it. But anyway, uh, so and this is about mythic Britain and Ireland, and it contains loads of Ooh. stories. Um, and what they've done in this is they have taken all the old myths and legends that we had in, in mm. Britain and Ireland and yep. put them into a world where they're kind of real. And it's based off the, the Nordic uh, horror role-playing of Vassen as well. Mm. And there are Ooh. some people that can see see the vassen the you know the the demons or not the demons the creatures uh because not all um, of them are evil um, they're strange folk yeah yeah they can see them and interact with them and that's yeah and that's part of the, the thing and so obviously this is a game that's been heavily inspired by myths and legends to kind of create story and do storytelling mm. and i think that was really interesting and um, because i think with with myth usually uh, they're they're told in a storytelling way where people don't mind you telling stories about it and adapting it, but I think that can be really different with religion because actually mm. religions are people's actually own personal held yeah. beliefs, and so I imagine that's a lot more difficult to do in role playing games. But then I was thinking, actually, if you look at D and D, you have clerics and things like that, which are very much religions, and you have gods in. So I just think it's interesting. Like I wanted to talk about how what it currently looks like and how we do that and why certain things are and aren't okay. Mm. And it's just interesting. But D&D is like the big example, of course. But D&D mm-hmm. is quite famously a great big hodgepodge of everything. Mm-hmm. So you've got a sort of Greek myths in there. You've got Norse stuff. You've got yeah. African stuff. You've got sort of British folklore and European Egyptian. folklore. You've got American folklore, Egyptian. You've got mm. all sorts of stuff from everywhere, all yeah. around the world. Yeah. All kind of mixed in, sometimes changed quite and bent out of shape quite yeah yeah significantly it's like, like like the medusa or something like that yeah. being changed into a monster type or the gorgon um and things like that yes. and some things transplanted almost exactly mm-hmm. and also same with magic items and stuff like in D D, there's so many magic items which yeah. are like the holy avenger is excalibur mm-hmm. isn't it uh, and there's so many magic items in there which are clearly derived from various different real world myths and legends yeah. so D&D just takes it all it's approach just take it all in smash it all into one big pot yeah. mix it all up and just see what comes out it's D&D's approach yeah mm-hmm. that's very true mm. I, and to be fair I, I actually find religion and mythos and so forth I actually find that the most irritating parts of most games to engage with oh yeah why is that well it's like you sort of have like a number of choices where the gods are like super important to your setting, yeah. and they're wandering around the place, mm, like and that, around style, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that I mean that doesn't feel very mysterious or magical. Well, it's kind of the Greek style as well, I yeah. guess, in a way. Yeah, yeah, like and if you've got a Greek style going on, mm-hmm. and that's basically the gods are humans, just bigger, really super powerful. more powerful, the superheroes, yeah. basically, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, they're literally four like it's the Mar- yeah. it's, it's, it's the MCU version of God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I guess. Or, or, or yeah. Let, let's be fair. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, well, Marvel, I think, was what's it? Men aspiring to become gods, and uh, DC's gods aspiring to be men. As I as I've understood the sort of the mm. thematic flavors. Well, I've never been really clear on what constitutes a god in the MCU and what doesn't, because on one hand they go on about the Asgardians and Thor yeah. and that lot just being. Advanced, super advanced aliens. Aliens, yeah. And so people thought they were gods. Yeah. But then again, if you look at the latest film, there's actual gods called gods, and there's a weapon which is the only thing that can kill gods. Yeah. But then again, if that's the only thing that can kill gods, how come we've seen gods getting killed before? Like Loki yeah. got killed and things. So yeah. it's like, it's, I don't think the MCU yeah. even knows what it means. Well, or, or technically, Loki was a giant. 
you know, I can pretend to be perfect pedantic about such things. <laughs> I suppose so. That's true, yeah. That's yeah. true. Technically. Um, Technically, uh, I suppose, yeah. what, what about Thor's mum, I think? Did she die of old age or something killed her off? Who? I mean, certainly Thor's mum, who's then a part of Yeah, she got a frigger, is it? Yeah. How did she die? She did, she did, she did get, get killed, killed. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Oh, no, or did she have an illness? Or did she get killed? I can't yeah, remember. I, it, it, it's, I know there's a lot of Asgardians definitely got. It's in that it. excellent film, Thor the Dark World. Critically acclaimed film. I, I, did, I did like that film. I know. Anyway, but that's not for really? But I think this is a really good example. So you have a world, a universe, and yeah. the rules aren't gods and myths and like, are kind of unclear. And I think no. that happens very much in big settings. Well, like you say in, in D&D as well. Yeah. So mm. it's kind of unclear. And if, if you don't want to play in the Forgotten Realms, sorry to interrupt, but mm. I'm like just, I'm super mad about the fact that <laughs> if I want to run a game of like, D&D that isn't in the Forgotten Realms, there's an expectation that I have to create a god for each of these domains. And quite yeah. frankly, I find that an incredible imposition. So, I don't, I'm not entirely sure you do. You can still have the domains and not necessarily attach a god to them. Clarence. You know, they are, when it comes down to it, a domain is just a mechanical chunk of rules. In, you can, you can I'm spin think, it how you, I'm going to keep saying clerics until you nod and say, oh, good point, Peter. Well, what's the point? Because clerics. Because, because the clerics have domains. That is literally a defining. Yes, I understand. But a domain is a chunk of rules. You can yes. you can reflavor it how you want. You don't necessarily have to create a god for each domain. Um. So if I don't have a light domain, and someone says I want to play a light cleric, no, you can have a light that. domain, but you don't have to say there's a god of light. I'd rather not. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> well, there you, go. you don't have to. Yeah, the light is... domain will work whether or not you say there's a god of light. That's that set of rules will still work. Yeah, it's not dependent on the fiction. You can make the fiction whatever you want. Is it? Oh, well, thanks for tidying this up for me. Uh, <laughs> you're in a sarky mood. Okay. See, I think it's Friday. We'll We're feeling on. sassy. We'll no, no, no. Okay. I think God's. I'm gonna. I'll be the counter side to it because apparently that's mm. what I do. Anytime with opinion mm. pieces, I have a different opinion to Peter. Um, I think gods can be really useful in as a storytelling method. I think if they're told mm. in like a like you say, if you use like a Greek or Roman version of it, that they mm. are like humans but really more powerful because then you can almost yeah. limit their power because otherwise mm. you get to a point it's like well why have you got these heroes running around to do it if you're this mm. you can't be omnipotent mm. and you know completely yeah. or um or so you, you can have them divide, a divine mm. non-aggression pact non-interference yes, yes. they're uh, all point, observing the prime directive, directive. yes yeah. <laughs> exactly so they can have some you can make up whatever reason why they can't do this and they need you to go on it but so they can be a great way to kind of guide the you know the story but because they can also give you information like in my uh, current campaign should i go into the full detail now we're going to fit the full detail but we're yeah. using kind of prophecies and visions to give us clues and information for what's going on and because it's come via a prophecy we get a series of images which we can interpret so it's giving us a little bit of a clue but it's not giving us the full answer and so that's an interesting way to kind of signpost us into to, to kind of what's going on yeah. um so it can be used as a tool to kind of do that so yeah, but my, mm. my character hates it because she's like, that's really unclear. Why don't they just tell us what's going on? Why don't they just yeah. use sending <laughs> instead of these yeah. cryptic images? What can it mean? But anyway, yeah. but it's, no, that's, it's, that's, that's it's a, way, it's a yeah. way to tell stories. And I think, yeah, yeah so I, th- I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um, mm. The last campaign I was in didn't have any gods in it because um, in, in the, the world mythos, 
at one point they just seem to disappear. And in the story, mm-hmm. we found out kind of what happened and why that happened. So I think you can yeah. have stories around that. And in the new Dawn of well, Vengalia... Well, that's very yeah. Dragonlance, the OG oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and the Dawn of Vengalia, which is the new um, Tales of Initiative level up advanced 5th edition actual play, they are doing a similar thing. Mm-hmm. The gods have created this world and their creation's mm-hmm. gone a bit awry and they're trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think you can use it in that way. But... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, part of the problem is the. I'm going to be quite controversial and say people do pantheism wrong, right? The whole point of pantheism isn't that there's a bunch of gods and you choose one god to worship. Mm. No, you worship all of them. Mm. So, like, and you pray to whichever one you need to in the moment. So, yeah. if you need it to rain, you pray to the rain god. If you need, yeah, mm. yeah exactly. Yeah, but yeah. we we got the case where we've got like these light clerics and they're they're pray- and rather than saying, oh well, this looks like a bit of darkness would be handy. I will pray to the god of darkness. Mm. Like, I guess I'm out of luck here because all I got is light. Hotline mm. to the light guy. And it's like, well, yeah, it's just, just, just not really understanding it. Yeah. 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 You, you could do it that way. I yeah. mean, the other way, because uh, I, I look at it sometimes like your god is almost like, um, almost like a warlock patron in a way. Mm. There's somebody giving you power because you, yeah, in my mind, there isn't an awful lot of difference there at all, yeah. like, my, narratively. My character says that, too. she's kind of a bit blunt, but she calls every, mm. she calls the warlock and the, the cleric character, she's like, oh, how's your magic sugar daddy? So, yeah, <laughs> the they are exactly the same thing, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. so it's it's, oh, it's, yeah. A, it's a bigger being giving you mm. access yeah. to magic and power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah warlock is just a flavour of cleric, or vice versa. But, yeah. so I, they yeah, are kind of different. Mm, so, did... did, did Drawing some way of discernment between these godlike and weakly godlike entities mm-hmm. could be uh, could be quite interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And as uh, different, uh, a, uh, warlock's, a warlock's patron could actually be more powerful than a god. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah potentially. Hmm. Have you um, accidentally made a cult or a religion in a campaign before? Because I've done it twice. Hmm. Accidentally, Cre- created one. <laughs> I've, I've twice yeah. accidentally made a cult. Uh, Anyone else? Uh, is this I, I, just I, me? I, 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 I would say that just once is an accident. Twice? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. Both times. Both times. It was. It just, it just happened. I, I went somewhere and I came back and there was a whole religion around me and I was like, oh, I didn't. And it's really hard to talk your way out of it when everyone thinks you're a religious leader as well. Mm. <laughs> and you're not. You're just a plant. Person. I was a plant yeah. person. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. Oh, but, um mm. I've had I, I had a player that was very into role playing and they kept using uh jazz hands saying, Sengard I was like, fine. <laughs> too charismatic, my friend, too charismatic. Yeah. And they ended up starting like a, a minor religious revival for their Sun God, which mm. I feel as a paladin they were largely okay with. Um what, what about instead of like a pantheon? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which is the traditional D and D way of doing it? Yeah. Has anyone ever tried like more of a sort of monotheist, monotheist, monotheistic? Yeah. Yeah. Monotheistic part. approach. So yeah, you you can have a monotheistic as a religion. I, isn't that wasn't there in fact famously a uh, Bible Kickstarter not too long mm. ago within yeah. the last year or so? That yeah. makes yeah. me feel nervous because yes. it's a real world religion, and how easily could you? offend somebody or oh, very easily do you know it's, what i mean yeah, i'd be yeah. like because i think yeah. what we've just it was yeah. it was written by a christian group it wasn't uh, yes no, it I'm, wasn't written by anyone intending to mock Christians no i understand that but people playing it how easily 
yeah. could you do yeah. that? Even not sure. intentionally. Mm. Um, because if you, I, if you yeah. have to, if you have to write down, okay, your players are probably going to try and kill Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. I mean, then I think, I it, I think if you give it, it, do they give him stats or do they not? Yeah, it was five E. It was five E. I just, for me, the things we were just talking about are clearly yeah. fantasy, not real world religions. No. Um, mm. so they're, they're mm. things that we made up that's inspired by like inspired by real world religions yeah. but aren't actually them I think that's mm. kind of that feels okay that feels alright but I think when if games were based on a, a real world thing it's just because people because there are other people's you know sincere beliefs it kind of makes I would be nervous playing as a player in a game of that especially because because I because I'm not of any religion I'd be worried mm. that I would do that mm. badly. So, no, you tr- should have so, a session zero, though, surely. So, so, so this yeah. book that I got a Kickstarter, mm-hmm. um, Inferno, Dante's Guide to Hell for D&D 5th Edition. Yes. Yeah. So, like, the Dante version of Hell, it's written by an Italian company, in English, but it's written by an Italian company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Dante's version of Hell is very much a sort of Christian version of religion, isn't it? It's very, very it's... much that version of hell, as opposed to mm-hmm. like the D&D version, well, the D&D version of hell is a bit like that as well, actually, isn't it? But, it is, but, yeah, but, yeah. but, yeah, but, but this is very, very much rooted, you know, it's even got a all hope abandoned ye who enter, you know, it's very much Dante's hell. Yeah. And this is, this is an example of real world religion being brought into D&D, and I haven't actually looked into the book yet, so I can't yeah. tell you much about it, but yeah. apart from that, it's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they've, they've, they've approached this. Mm-hmm. Because they, I suppose, I don't know whether they delve into Christianity specifically. Probably not. Yeah. I would imagine. It's more just dealing to hell and monsters and layers of hell and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's divine inspiration here. And Dante's Inferno, Christianity is pretty important to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah I mean, I, that's I why there's that. different levels of hell. Because someone has said these things are wrong. Well, we've got a, a vicar as a archetype. Oh, yeah. So if you've got a vicar as an archetype, you're already delving into Christianity there. Yeah, yeah so th- see, things like that, that just makes me a bit... Pagan, vicar, pagan. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, this is delving into real-world stuff. Well, as you both know from the Adventurer's Guide, uh, there's been some excellent work done ranging from zero gods to many. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, nature worship. Um, yeah. How one would implement atheism in a game. We did a sketch about that once, do you remember? Oh, I, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the cleric was like... See, uh, I find yeah. atheism in... If you're doing like... like when I'm talking about a D&D world, because... Um, saints. It's got saints in there. There you go. It's if, definitely... if gods walk around and do things and give people powers, I think you can't really turn around and say they don't exist. Because like... What you can do, though, come you down can and say, speak I don't believe they're gods. That's what you could say. Yes. And that's what my character's done in this campaign. Mm, She's, yeah. She said, I think they're powerful be- beings, but they're not worthy of my magic, worship and praise. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, not worthy. Yeah. And also, just, I don't worship them. I Yeah, that's, that's, so, that's the only way you can do atheism in D&D. Yeah, because you can't, you can't reject outright their existence, but you can reject yeah, it's their... Like saying I don't, it's like saying I don't believe in elves, isn't it? It's like... When there's an elf standing in front of you. I thought you meant in real life then. And I was like, uh, Russ. (laughs) (laughs) Bad news for you, my friend. I was like, do I I tell him? Do I? Yeah, sure. Don't don't mention the East Ebony, okay. (laughs) It's fine. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I just, and clearly people do write things based on real world religions. And if, and I think Peter, as you were saying earlier, if you're doing a modern setting, 
you could have characters mm. who are of well if you're doing a monotone well. you haven't got a choice really mm. it's, it's very hard to avoid if yeah. you, especially if you've got anything supernatural in it well I mean there are literal role playing games based around this um, Scion Godbound mm-hmm. mm. all using existing uh, pantheons and so forth so mm. it's fair what about things like Norse and Greek pantheons which I think there are, like, remnants of current religions and people that do still yeah. worship those gods, but it's not commonplace for people to do so. But, I mean, is that different? It, is, having, is having Thor and Odin different in some way? It makes me... I'm just talking about how I'm feeling. I would feel mm. more comfortable playing with those, like, Greek and Roman gods and things like that mm. because I'm less worried I'm going to do something offensive to somebody. Hmm. Yeah, and they do feel more like mythic superheroes rather than rather than yeah. Yahweh or something like well, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, think, I don't, I don't feel like I'm likely to bump into people in the street who have a strong belief system based well, on their faith. On those, I mean, maybe possible, it I suppose, comes, but it's unlikely. My father's a reverend, so maybe <laughs> right, that's where yeah. my perspective comes from. Because I'm, I'm not of a religion, but I have spent mm. a lot of time with people from that have strong religious beliefs obviously being a reverend you kind of you're quite into it at that point <laughs> <laughs> one could say and being a reverend is a religious enthusiast that is <laughs> yeah. Jessica. It's, it's, at that point it's more, it's more than a hobby at that point yeah he's very he's very pro professional very... religious enthusiast mm-hmm. yeah. yes yeah. and okay. uh also i i uh, spent a lot of time growing up when i was in birmingham and so there's lots of different different faiths there there are muslims and some of my friends yeah. are druids so i know a lot of people that do have Maybe and then maybe that's why, which is I think odd in the UK because I think over seventy percent of the UK is atheist. Atheist on the last poll. Don't know, or at least agnostic, it was, yeah, yeah. Mm. or agnostic. Or wouldn't say they're a religion, but I think it's very different in the US because it's. I think the oh, the US is a lot more religious. Yeah, than so yeah. maybe maybe, um, maybe different. I there. mean, like a mysterious stranger turns up at your house and you have the choice of letting them in and being nice to them. Or not letting them and being horrible to them. And am I talking about Odin wandering around being Odin? Or am I talking about angels rocking up at people's houses? And there's really no way to tell because just without actually specifying, they, they act in a very similar fashion. As long as it's not Zeus because um, he's a bit... He's oh, Zeus, just turns up, <laughs> Zeus just turns up as a shower of something. Zeus is not good. Or he'll turn up as a swan. Yes. Stealth mode Although, swan. Um, yeah. But when I was brought up a Catholic, so yeah. um, I, you know, I've got quite a strong religious background, church, school, the whole works, yeah. uh, up until I was like, well, I was at a Catholic school, even through to sixth form, so until I was 18. Yeah. Um, but I stopped going to church probably when I was about 14, 15, I think. I can't remember, except for the ones that school made you go to. Yeah. But I was just there being bored at that point. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I got quite a strong religious background. And that does mean for me some of the sort of Catholic-esque trappings mm. I do find quite attractive in a game mm. or in a in a thing you know I you know, like the churches and the music and the I, I do yeah. find it is uh, possibly because it's just it's just memories for it's me a and stuff like that point, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, or, or yeah. like the Warhammer 40k aesthetic is very cool really because mm. you're like mm. yeah this looks very much like a church it's not boring mm. it is wildly overly ornate Mm. And I confess, whilst there might have been many less skulls <laughs> in the ones I ended up going to, 
uh, you know, it's like a, yeah, it's like huge and imposing is very, very, very much a, a Ballywick I can relate to. I think religion is so intertwined with various different cultures that mm-hmm. whenever you're right in, being inspired by a culture, you're going to have a little bit of influence from it anyway. So I think mm-hmm. I think taking inspiration from real world re- religions to create your own settings and things like that, that's... I don't think, you know, there's anything wrong with that. Uh, and there's uh, forms of religious expression because religion mm. also has, like, how people practice it. Are they, mm. re- do they really go for it? Is it is everyone having a straight-up good time? Like, uh, mm. and that I've seen described as Dionysian mm. after the cult of Dionysus, which yeah. went wild. And the more reserved uh, attempts at religious ecstasy, like, you know, just sitting and praying together, I have to seen that described as a Polonian. So that mm. seems like, again, that sort of decision that you'd have to make so i i I should have a think about it make some sort of random generator see what Mm. sort of interesting results pop up yeah wonder how much religion actually pops up in your average D &D game outside of the mechanic elements of a cleric casting spells like the actual trappings of religion and the role that a cleric should have in the community for example Mm. rather than just clerics casting a cure spell yeah i mean obviously that is kind of religion but that's just kind of rules yeah yeah yeah. the actual actual religious element mm. of it. I wonder mean, how much yeah. that actually... Because that doesn't... In games I've played, that's never been a big thing. I think it mm. so depends on your setting. In my current yeah. campaign, um, it's a big part of it because we've decided to take a lot of inspiration from Spanish medieval sort of setting. So there's loads of like churches and religious buildings mm. for different... And it's uh, using Level Up Advanced 5th Edition. So we're using some kind of D&D style gods and things. But generally, there's quite a religious vibe of various different gods, and we have it that the heralds um, of different gods do kind of wander around the area and are expected to kind of help people, regardless of what god you are associated to. They're seen as like almost like policemen or like hospital. You know, they're people. If you see um, the herald about, you would go up to them in our world to be like, "Oh, I, I need this." So I think it depends on your setting in your world, and you can kind of choose what you want. Because I know some people. Some people have a lot of uh, religious trauma as well because they grew up in a religion and mm. had not a groovy time. Uh, and mm. so some people just say, I don't want to have that included in my campaign. So I think it's mm. easy to kind of cut things out and not have yeah. it. So it's up to you and your setting, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, stuff like Zoroastrianism is very interesting because uh, essentially you have like a god who's created everything and then like... Uh, uh, and sort of an antithetical feature creature, but uh, you wouldn't actually worship either of these directly because they're just not interested. They are so far beyond your comprehension that, like, yeah, whatever, mm. we don't care. In the same Should way, Cthulhu is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and you have more intercessory, yeah. cr- intercessory gods mm-hmm. uh, who have the typical domains. I think that. But most fantasy worlds do have like religion and gods in it. But I was just thinking about Tolkien, which is arguably the most famous fantasy world. Mm. There is. Gods in it, but religion does not form any real part of the stories of Tolkien, does it? You no. don't have priests, you don't have worship of anything, um, uh, unless worshiping Sauron because you're an orc counts. But you know, um, I mean, I you think know, they it's... even worship Sauron. Who, who could say? But uh, I think they do whatever. I don't think they do whatever Sauron tells them to do. They do what told. Yeah. It's not yeah. like there's a religious motivation. It's not because Sauron's a darkness that's going to consume the world. Yeah, except I mean, for very is, literal. There is, there is a there is a god. Sir. Um, I've forgotten. I've forgotten the god's name. Of uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look this up because yeah. that's how important he is. <laughs> well, they are. well, I think yeah, it doesn't show up in like the books, but um, 
He shows up in like oh, Aru, know, Sean Williams and stuff. Iluvatar. Yes, that's it. Iluvatar. Yeah. So there is a god, and then I think I think that's it. And then there's Melkor, mm. who's like the evil, kind of like the evil god. Yeah, but that's it, isn't it? I think just those two. Everything um, else is just kind of powerful wizards and stuff. Well, well, like I've heard. Ga- I mean, I I struggled, and by struggled, I mean tried a few pages. It was like no. Uh, to get into the Cimmerillion. Mm. Um, so to oh, be it's fair, hard going, yeah. it's a I've, been, I've, been fi- I've been finding Rings of Power to be pr- fairly interesting as a result. Mm. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Especially stroppy yeah. old Granny Giladjul. Oh, so here we go. <laughs> so yeah, so Eru Iluvatar is, is basically the god who, who creates the world. Yes. Um, but that looks like that's the only god. And then below him, he makes all these spirits, angelic sp- spirits called the Einar. A-I-N-U-R. Oh. And... All of these sort of Maya powerful, stuff, yeah, yeah, but all, all of the and the Valar and all that lot and the Maya mm. are all types of them. So mm. they're types of angel that Eru's created, yeah, okay. and that includes Sauron, includes Melkor, includes Gandalf. Yeah. No, it includes all of those yeah. uh, different. So they're, they're all basically angels, mm-hmm. but none of them are worshipped as divine beings, are they? No one worships Gandalf. Yeah, um, Gandalf. Uh, he gets receptions vague from general cheer to see him too. Oh, it's you again. Yeah. Bloody interference. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so Which I feel is very fair, to be honest. Yeah. But I, just, I just thought it was interesting that the most famous fantasy world there is yeah. doesn't really have much, or any religion in it. Yeah. It doesn't have much in the way of magic either, to be honest. True. That is, well, not that it has. It has balrogs and it has rings and um, it just doesn't have much in the way of player character magic, mm. as it were. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a magic door, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. It's got magic swords, and it's got... I, I mean, if you insist, I, I mean, one is supposed to glow brightly when orcs nearby, but, you know... That's magic. That, <laughs> that does seem like great magic to me. It's like, if you're trying to sneak around orcs, and your sword starts glowing, then you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. I mean, it has more subtle magic, I guess, is the way. And the, magic, yeah. and the magic kind of infuses the world, rather than being something that player characters go around blasting from their fingertips. It's yeah, yeah. Kind of how it works. Yeah. I like yeah. it. I like that style of magic in Tolkien. Mm-hmm. I, I actually thought of like um, writing a game where you can't play a wizard or something, mm. but the idea is you can cast spells, but no one can ever see you doing magic. So everything always looks like a coincidence or something happened. Or so that's rather than you, paradox rather than you, from mage. sort of. So rather yeah. than you casting a fireball, whereas yeah. in D and D you point to someone and it goes, yeah. What what would happen is you'd cast a spell and maybe a candle over there would fall over and hit something and something would go up or. And it's the same kind of mechanical effect, but nobody ever sees you actually casting, doing magic. You're describing the RPG Wise Women, which is about witches living in a medieval uh, European uh, village, and they are trying to help their community with their magic, but magic is taboo, so they can't let anyone see them doing it. Mm. Um, Which I interviewed someone on I'm Not D&D for as well, which is very interesting. Mm. So that, that is that thing. They have magic... But it's really rare and people fear it. So everything you do kind of, kind of has to be, oh, that just happened to, how great is that? Like, But yeah, but those were just my general thoughts. I just think it's interesting how in RPGs that we have religion and myth and it's interesting how it's well, used. Here's a question. Would it put you off if you were playing in a D&D game or something and A, it was very, very heavily religious, but it was D&D religion, like D&D pantheon style religious, mm-hmm. or B, it was very, very heavily religious and was very heavily influenced by a real world religion. But either of those put you off. 
A is my current campaign. The second one, definite. The second mm-hmm. one would for me. So someone came along and said, right, the, the setup is basically... Um, well, all right, this thing. This is Inferno. So someone came along and said, the setup is basically sort of Judeo-Christian religion, but amped up into sort of fantasy kind of levels. With that, that would put you off. It's not a campaign I'd go for. It's not yeah. something that draws me in, like, hence I haven't purchased that book. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I once tried to write a campaign setting back in the bad old days, and it was a five E setting rather than a bad old days. Wasn't that Wednesday? Oh, rest this is the bad Thursday. place. <laughs> this in the before times, bad old days. Uh, so I was using five E, uh, and I tried to use intercessory saints to have a uh, Jonathan Strange and Miss Norell uh, style game set in the days of John Usglass in Northumbria. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. I don't really know what that is, but... Have you read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell or seen the TV series? No. Okay. So, it's a book. It's quite famous. Mm. Um, I've heard about, of it, pra- yeah. about practical magic. It's mm. The actual book itself is set in the Polonic times, but it has an alternate history where there's a chap called John Usklass who goes away with the fairies, mm. uh, comes back and becomes the Raven King with his seat in Newcastle and England split in two, basically, like the non-magical parts in the South and the bits that John Usglass wants up in the north, and he is intensely powerful, and they're like, okay, then. And he's like, yep. And then at some point he goes away, and England gets reunited, etc. And that takes us through to the Monday Napoleonic stuff. And then magic starts coming back. Mm. Um, so I figured it'd be quite fun to play around with stuff. Because I've been reading that and um, The Last Kingdom. I thought, well, you know, I've got some friends in Newcastle. How about do things like have St. Cuthbert, um, who's patron saint of Northumbria, and play around with ancestry saints. And mm. there's like a sort of a weird magical vibe. St. Cuthbert's actually in Greyhawk as well. Yeah. Bless him, bash him, hack him, slash him. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that it, it's, it's things you can do. I, I, I do play around with it, but um, it's just, it's awkward. Mm. I was just thinking back to early D&D and what yeah. clerics were like. Because these days, clerics... You know, there's, there's a massive, diverse array of how you can play a cleric in yeah. D&D these days. But back then, basically, a cleric was a Van Helsing-style Catholic priest, mm-hmm. pretty much. Okay. Um, turn undead, yeah. cure wounds, walked around with a mace, wore a robe. That was pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a cleric for you. Right. And there wasn't any real variation on that. That was basically, you know, that was a cleric. Yeah, yeah. You didn't. You couldn't really vary that particularly. Nowadays, of course, it's very different. But mm. back then, it was. It's, it's just interesting that D and D religion back then was clearly a lot more based in Christianity than it is necessarily now. Well, I guess it's what people knew. I mean, a yeah. lot of what we have in D and D is what white guys in the nineteen seventies thought of the rest of the world. Like, so yeah, mm. that's where we are. Well, it's not like they weren't aware of the other stuff though, because they were deities and demigods, and they. You know, you look in the first edition um, Dungeon Master's Guide and there's bits of every religion on the planet in there smushed in into the magic items. and the But, the, but not from people that's, of those religions' perspectives. No, 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 I understand. Yeah. But I'm just saying that it's not like that was all they knew. They did. They had books, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like personal yeah. experience. It's all they experienced, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, so, yeah. Um, but that, yeah. That's, that's pretty interesting, I guess. Uh, but yeah. And I don't know. I think I think the world's uh, a bit broader, and there's a scope for more and more interesting things. 
Well, the one th- one good thing that is happening these days is that people from so many different backgrounds are making stuff for D&D mm-hmm. that you're starting to see this stuff getting more and more prominence mm. while people write about their own experiences and their own, their own cultures. Yeah. Yes. And some of that stuff is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would certainly get me interested in a game. Mm. A chance to learn about new and different things. I really want uh, sort of uh, feudal mythical Japan D&D book written by Japanese people. But in English, because I can't read Japanese. But in <laughs> by Japanese people. <laughs> I'd, I'd, love, I'd love that. I think that would be a great book. In yeah. fact, I, I think I should try and commission that. Mm. Next level I'd be up, quite advanced fifth edition book. Yeah. I'd be quite interested in seeing something from Korea. I think mm. I did see something. There was, there was a Kickstarter last week we talked about being mm. a Korean-based... Was that the one you sent D&D 5th edition... Sorry? Was that the one you sent me? The one that Russ is talking about, I think. Oh, maybe. You said... Yes. Well, we, yeah. we mentioned it on the podcast last mm-hmm. week. It was a Korean-based 5e adventure path. Okay. That, that, that does sound like the sort of thing I would send you, but I have completely yeah. forgotten because it happened. <laughs> I've slept since then. Okay. Mm. <laughs> I just remember you sent me some stuff. You're like, you should mention this in the podcast because I'm not there. And I was like, I shall. I remember the Session Zero stuff I sent you because that was yes. very impressive. Mm-hmm. Made $50,000 and... It's all my idea. idea. Well... Well, I don't maybe think we the still... We definitely wrote a sketch about that. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote that sketch about that. Yeah, oh well. Uh, oh well, oh well. Snoo- snooze us, lose us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. yeah. Um, I, I think, think we probably all... drifted right off topic and we've pretty much Again. covered it as best we're going yes. to. Yes. Okay, on that yeah. note, let's end the podcast and let's stop. Woo! <laughs> Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash Morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. It's, 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 like, mm. it's like England playing in the World Cup. It's like I'm on I'm on their side and I want them to win, but I, in my in deep in my heart, I don't think they will. So. I I don't feel that way because I'm Welsh, so I have the Welsh Scottish thing of being as long as England don't win, I don't care. <laughs> Anyone but and Ireland, England, England, Scotland, and Ireland, all the three of us going ah, yeah. and occasionally Cornwall as well. Mm. <laughs>